I would like to devote this podcast to a valuation instrument, which is perfectly valid in the environment for which it was developed, but is very often misused by academics or practitioners who want to give a kind of, uh, between quotes, scientific look to asset or company valuation. Well, it's about options, and it's about option valuation. Option is a very powerful instrument, which is massively used on trade on capital markets, and a major breakthrough was the development of a mathematical model by two academics, uh, Black and Scholes. We go back to the first half of the 70s, and they, they, they found and developed a very famous formula, which is known by every uh, student in corporate finance on capital market and every practitioner. I'd like to talk about an article which was published by an excellent magazine, the Journal of Applied Corporate Finance, in winter 2018, quite recently. It's devoted to the use of this concept of real option, not financial, but real option, in the evaluation of R&D projects with an application to a very well-known big pharma, Gilead, very well-known and famous for its treatment against the hepatitis C virus, and uh, the application is on a specific project, R&D project, on the treatment of osteoporosis. Now, is the subject very new? Not really. I remember an article which was published by Harvard Business Review in 94 or something like that, about 25 years ago. Um, it was about the interview of the CFO of Merck. Uh, she said, uh, basically, the road to success is to put more money at risk. We finance people, we have the reputation to cut costs and to, pay, to promote more uh, cost-cutting rather than investing at risk. So it's a, it's a bit interesting to, to have a look at this statement. In fact, it describes R&D projects as options and reminds to the readers that risk creates value for options, which is absolutely true and is not quite the same for traditional finance. The classical corporate finance is very much about remunerating investors at the minimum hurdle rate of return, which is named the WAC, the weighted average cost of capital. Risk aversion is, if the risk is higher, then I expect, I anticipate, I ask for an additional higher return. And then the higher the risk, the higher the expected return, the higher the WAC, and no lower the value of the asset for which cash flows are going to be discounted at a higher cost of capital. Then you understand that traditional finance is about risk and does not like very much risk. But new finance, I would say, based on options, is about creating value with risk. And R&D is about risk. But it's a bit more complex than what I just described. We first have to go back very quickly on the concept of option and the instrument behind that. Um, the, the, the instrument is very well known from finance people uh, working in corporations, working on capital markets. And it's also well known from managers because when you receive a stock option, it is an option on an asset, which is a stock price of the company in which you work. So you can create value in your own pocket if the stock price is up because you will have the right to buy uh, an asset at a price which is fixed today and which is up tomorrow. Now, the definition of a financial option, it is a right, 
right is a very important word. I'm going to go back in a minute on that. It's a right to buy, it's name a call, or exclusive, or, or the right to sell, and then it's name a put. The right to buy or sell an asset, a financial asset, at a price which is agreed, contractually agreed today. Uh, and you have the right during a period or at the end of a period, which is also contractually defined. When you say right, it means that you have no obligation. And then you have the flexibility to postpone the decision when you know if the value of the asset is up or down. Let's take a very simple example. There is a very well-known food company whose name is Danon. Imagine an option, which is a call, the right to buy. During nine months, this is the, the validity of the option. The exercise price or the strike price is a price at which you can buy, 75. And you look at Bloomberg and you understand that it's worth 72. So, of course, you are not going to exercise the option today because it would be stupid to buy at 75 something you can find on the market at 72. Of course, you anticipate that the stock price is going to increase and go far beyond the 75. Then you are ready to pay something uh, to, to have this right. And uh, when you observe on the market at which price the option is traded, the premium of the option is 0.75. So you pay 0.75 to have the right, etc., etc. What is the premium for the manager, by the way? Well, it's about remuneration. If you're a manager and you receive stock options, it is something which is supposed to compensate receiving a lower remuneration or the remuneration which you abandon in the premium you pay for the stock options, which, is, which are given to you. Now, what is risk? Risk is variability in the return, variability in the value. Let's imagine two ranges for the value of the stock. A first range is 70-74. A second range is 60-80. You understand that the second range is much broader, so the risk is much higher. Now, let's take as, a, as an assumption, a very simplistic assumption, that the probability is 0.5 that the stock price goes up and 0.5 that the stock price goes down. You understand that if the stock price will stay within a range of 70-74, and you have the right to buy at 75, the value of your option is nil because it will never go beyond 75. If the range is 60-80, then there's a probability of 0.5 that it reaches 80. Then what's going to happen? You will exercise the option and you are going to make a profit, which is the difference between the stock price at maturity, which is 80, and the exercise price, which is 75. You'll make a Capital gain, which is about 5. As the probability is 0.5, the average, the, the, the mean, you know, the average return, the average value is something like 0.5 multiplied by 5, which is 2.5. And the question is, how much are you ready to pay today to have a potential 2.5 on the average upside? You understand that if the downside is 70 or the downside is 60, you don't care because you have the right but not the obligation. So the downside might be down to zero. It doesn't change anything because then you withdraw from the game. And what's going to happen? You just look at the upside potential and you are not absolutely not affected by the downside potential. Then the value is a kind of probability that it goes up multiplied by 
the actual increase you anticipate for the stock price. And then risk is good because the higher the risk, the higher the magnitude of the upside and the higher the profit. So you understand that when you look at traditional finance, you look at downside. When you look at options, you are not going to look at downside because you get out of the game and you stay in the game if it is about upside. Then you make a profit and you enjoy risk. Now, this concept applied to a real world, real options, is something which is very interesting. It's the same concept. You have the right to do something, but not on financial assets, but on real assets. It can be a raw materials reserve, such as oil reserves, energy, uh, rare stuff, etc. And it's about opportunities of investment. Um, Black and Scholes published their paper in 1973. Uh, I don't want to make a finance theory course, but there is another very interesting paper which was published by Stuart Myers in 77. And the title of the article is Determinants of Corporate Borrowings. Myers simply says that uh, if a company is under leverage, it can create a lot of value even though it increases the cost of capital. He mentions in the article growth opportunities and then growth option. You pay something today, which is the cost of capital is a bit higher for your projects, but then you will have the flexibility, the strategic and flexible and financial flexibility uh, to exercise an option and make an investment tomorrow, such as a major industrial development and acquisition or whatsoever. You have not identified today what you are going to do tomorrow, but you have the possibility to do it if by chance this opportunity is going to be in front of you. Application to R&D is obvious. You pay today, and if everything goes right, you're going to have a lot of money tomorrow if the R&D project turns into profit. So you have a probability that it works, that's great, and you have a probability that it doesn't work. And then, okay, if it doesn't work, we don't exercise the option, we don't build a factory, we don't do anything about that. And that's the premium of the option, which we, which is the R&D cost, and that's it. It's a kind of binary uh, representation of the future uh, probability or one minus probability. So it looks like an option, but it's different from an option. In the option, uh, in the financial option, the assets, the underlying assets simply exists today. Its value is fluctuating, but the asset is a stock, is a stock market index, is a swap, is a currency, is a future, but it does exist. In R&D, the, the asset does not exist yet. The asset is being built. Uh, an R&D project is just a, a very long and risky track which starts from an idea and which ends into a product. But the product does not exist uh, yet. Why? Because you have not demonstrated, for example, in the pharmaceutical industry, that uh, the product is going to be very good for people who suffer from this disease. And you have not yet received the approval from the Food and Drug Administration. So you have not yet the right to produce anything. This is very important because there is a risk, of course. But the risk is that you never get to the end point where the FDA says yes. And it's a very different race than the one which is evaluated by financial option. 
in the risk for financial option is the fluctuation of the asset value. Here, the risk is that the asset never exists. Of course, once the FDA gave the approval, the company has a right to produce and has a right to sell. And then we go back to the option, because the question is, what is the potential fluctuation of the cash flows which are going to be generated by marketing the product? The answer is not that obvious, because um, very often the market is identified, the number of people who suffer from this disease is, is reasonably well known, um, the, the, the selling price depends on the real efficiency of the product, manufacturing costs are generally speaking, easy to forecast, as well as marketing expenses, follow-up expenses, and so on and so forth. The, the number of years depends on the patent and where you stand in the patent in terms of residual life. And so you can calculate on that price and value. But the fluctuations are absolutely not the same as the one which you can observe on stock market or any any financial asset. You have identified the market and the NPV is reasonably well assessed. If we take the example of osteoporosis, which is described in the article, it's exactly what I said. Interestingly, by the way, let's go back a minute uh, in the early days of Gilead uh, a few years ago. Gilead was very successful because of its acquisition of Pharmacet. It's about 2011, right? And the stock price of the company went up as a consequence of this acquisition from 25 to 100 dollars. As a consequence of its uh, fantastic treatment of uh, hepatitis uh, C virus. And so the company was very successful because it had identified the treatment. The treatment was very successful. They could very much um, exercise their pricing power and increase the, the price of the treatment. And it's about cash flow. It's about value. Now, what I described is not very much in contradiction with the article at first sight. The article proposes an evaluation in two steps for the pharmaceutical companies. First, classical, traditional discounted cash flows for the existing molecules. But then it mobilizes a, a model, a sophisticated model based on uh, the foundations of Black-Scholes formula to evaluate the growth options on, of the firm. And there is a very complex mathematical development and application. Then I have a problem. Why? Because the Black and Scholes formula is not designed for this type of evaluation. This is very clever. This is a very useful theory to evaluate listed assets. You can observe the stock prices and you can observe the value of the asset in trend and fluctuations. In our jargon, in our financial jargon, is mean variance stuff. And here, well, it's simply not applicable. Why? You, you have the FDA. You need the FDA approval. The FDA risk has an impact on the value. But it is not a fluctuation in the value which contributes to value creation. It is a risk which destroys value, not which creates value. Uh, another point is uh, that you don't have any market for this asset so that you can observe the value. You're just uh, calculating something, building scenarios, but you don't observe an actual value as it is given by the market. And sorry to be uh, a little bit on mathematics, but 
uh, in the Black-Scholes formula, you have a kind of Brownian motion uh, hypothesis, which is absolutely not credible for, for this kind of valuation. Very often in the pharmaceutical industry, as you know, certainly in the, in the early days of the molecule, you have a very low probability and you can have a fantastic output. It has nothing to do with Brownian motion, a drift uh, and a standard deviation of the return, which is stable over time. So my criticism of that is you take a mathematical model, which is very efficient and very clever in one context, and you try to put the mathematical model and transfer in another context for which the assumptions are absolutely not verified. It's a different context, but you apply the model. Now, it should be replaced by what? Well, my, my conviction is that you have to go through uh, economic thinking before you jump to finance and mathematics. Very often, financial theory and financial practitioners, they focus on the behavior of a financial asset on the market and within a portfolio. This is why, by the way, uh, finance theory is named portfolio theory, uh, completely neglecting the um, industrial, economic, and technological um, uh, underlying rationality and reality. So if you want to build a model, the first thing you have to do is to build an economic model at large with the broadest meaning of it before you build the financial model, which is relevant and which is appropriate for this environment. Then you need to understand the, the, the technological roadmap of the company and of the project. You have to understand how uh, competitors are going to react to your strategy. We have something in economics which is named game theory, which should be a little bit more mobilized in investment appraisal. And you have to also understand the, 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 what is at stake in terms of pricing, negotiation power, and so on. Understand uh, which kind of human skills you have at home or human skills you need to mobilize from outside. Uh, imagine all the, the potential opportunities and so on and so forth. And then you understand that there is no one unique universal model. Each situation is unique. Each situation deserves its own individual development. You need to have a very good knowledge of field operations. You need to build your scenarios. You need to identify the opportunities. And of course, you have to run the financial validation of their implementation. That's it. Now, if you observe business stories around yourself, there are this kind of situation. You can identify situations and strategic moves which demonstrate the fantastic power of this optional approach and the talent you need to identify and implement. There is an example which I like very much. We all know, of course, Amazon. Amazon created a business which is e-commerce. Then you could say, ah, the optional approach is identify growth opportunities. So you enlarge a product portfolio from cultural products to any type of products. You can sell food, clothes, or whatsoever. And then you have an option which is broaden the product portfolio. But there is a pure a growth option, which comes from the business. When you want to develop reliable and efficient uh, e-commerce, you need to have reliable and instantaneously shared information. Then when you develop that uh, all over the world, you build a portfolio of competences and then you are going to be able to identify and monetize 
know-how, which is an extremely competitive know-how. What is the consequence of what I just described? This is business, which is named AWS, Amazon Web Services. Look at the annual report of Amazon uh, in 2018. Um, the company is generating $233 billion, which is absolutely fantastic. Amazon Web Services is only $25 billion out of the $233. But 7 billion of operating income out of the 12 billion generated by the rest of the company. So you understand that this option exercise is absolutely fantastic. And this is a perfect example of the identification of an option and the outstanding quality of execution, fundamental point, which you need in order to transform a potential opportunity into actual cash flows. So as a conclusion, don't immediately jump on mathematics to uh, make the valuation of an asset when you use a formula for which uh, the assumptions do not fit with the environment you are observing. And second, there are plenty of differences between the financial options and the real options. The one I would like to insist is the quality of execution I mentioned a few seconds ago. Thank you very much.